All right. In in recent years, it has become cool or the in thing to do to call yourself a gospel-centered church. The problem we face when we do this is that oftentimes we take these labels and then we make them into some methodology or some program-driven um, program-driven package that we think, oh, if I can do these things, I will grow a church. For example, Rick Warren started a church about 20 years ago, just over 20 years ago or so, and that church is called Saddleback. Uh, I think it's Saddleback Community Church, I believe. It's in uh, California. And when he started that church, he began with this purpose-driven model. And as he did that, he began to see God work and do some pretty big things. And it took some time. You know, he didn't start and all of a sudden have a church of 10,000 people that sent missionaries into every nation in the world. That's, that's 20 years of work and effort. And whether you agree with Rick Warren or not, uh, is, with his philosophy of ministry, or whether you even see eye to eye with him on all of his theology, it's obvious that God is using that church to do a work in the world. It, it, and the thing is, is that God chose to do that work through him and his church, and that the ministry that that church performs is actually pretty, pretty significant. And so the problem came in when they decided to begin packaging it up and selling the books and, 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 um, and marketing it. And it wasn't even that that was the problem. The problem came to be when all of these churches picked it up and said, oh, well, this worked for Rick Warren, it'll work for me. And so all of these churches jumped on this 40 Days of Purpose bandwagon and thought, if I do this in my church, we'll have exponential growth and pretty soon we'll be another saddleback. And even Rick Warren tells people, don't expect that, don't do that. And so... I, as we come to start this message today, and I talk to you about wanting and desiring to be a gospel-centered church, I want you to know that I'm not coming at this and, and, and encouraging you to be a part of something that is simply us throwing a label on ourselves or, or is in some way putting it on our material, using the right lingo in sermons, or putting it on our website and thinking, oh, that's going to make us cool. We're going to be the in church, and that's going to make people happy about us, and we'll see numbers just boom. That's not what this is about. In fact, I would, I would like to let you know that just so you know this, when, when I began to sense that God was calling me to plant this church, I had no idea what gospel-centered even meant. I didn't even know that terminology. I didn't know what that meant. But what I experienced was God speaking to me through His Word and showing me over and over and over that the gospel must remain central. I wasn't even studying on what it meant to plant the church. I was reading the Bible, and this started to happen. And so this was something that was new to me. I mean, it was something that was totally different than where I had been in church, and it was totally different than, than at least it had been explained to me before. And it was totally different than all of the ways I was told to go and plant the church. In fact, I was told to go and, and, and put all the structure together and go and put all of the, all of the trappings together and, and pick a certain group of people that I was sent to and determine all of these things. And so there was a time period of time I'm trying to learn from this and I'm thinking, okay, well, God sent me to young people. Well, I just pulled that out of the air. I didn't know. I had no idea. God sent me to, you know, and then obviously things change and, and you grow a little bit and then you feel this burden for, for people in need. And God called us to fix homelessness. And that changed and feel a burden in Africa. Oh, God called us in Africa. No, you know, that's. Certainly He's called us to serve and He's called us to be certain things in the city and He's called us to go and plant the gospel seed in people's lives. Certainly He's called us to certain things. But one thing that will always be and should always be is that the gospel remains central to the efforts of the church. See, gospel-centered ministry, at least in our church, as long as I'm leading, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that it doesn't just become like the purpose-driven model where we think that we can just slap the, the title on ourselves and be cool or be in. 
But see, as we strive to be the gospel-centered church in the landscape that we are, we must remember that it's not some other methodology or program that's going to bring some level of perceived success. The gospel isn't about growing a man's church, but God's people, God's church. It isn't about filling a church building, but about redeeming and restoring God's people. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about seeing how many, how many people we can put in the chairs in Cowden. It's not about seeing how many people we can, we can build a building for. It's not about in some way seeing just all of this, all of the, the, the machine of church grow. The gospel is not focused on what we think we need to be focused on. The gospel is about seeing God glorified and seeing people restored and seeing people made new. Do we want to see growth? Absolutely. Honestly, I, I, I want to see growth not because I, it's going to help my ego in some way. I want to see growth because if, if, if we see more people coming to our church, we know and are able to see the gospel doing a work in their lives. You see, we don't have to consider ourselves successful or unsuccessful because we are a small church and our numbers float up and down all the time. That's not the measure of our success. I mean, you consider just this weekend what we've seen happen in our church. One of our families has given birth to a beautiful baby girl. Praise God for that. That's a blessing to them. And it's a blessing to us. One of our, one of our members and one of our families has, has just gotten married, two people, and I'll talk about them, I'll share with, with you about them in just a little bit, that they never wanted to get married. But because of the gospel at work in their lives, they came to this place where they stood and they committed themselves before God to one another. And we saw them become one flesh, and we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to watch that process in their lives. Yesterday, I'm at my first meeting with another couple in our church who, who are going to be getting married, and I'm sitting down and talking to them about the gospel at work in their lives now and how it will, it, it will enable them to have a fruitful and lasting marriage. Those are beautiful things. I mean, the, the stories go on and on. The gospel will bring its results, and we don't have to always see growth in numbers. Certainly we want to. But the growth that's happening in our people is a result of the Gospel. It's a result of God's work in each person through the Gospel. And see, the Gospel doesn't exist for us to exalt us or to use as a ministry tool that in some way will make us feel better about what we're doing. But rather, we exist because of the Gospel. You and I exist because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, we are. And that's a phrase I, I hope that you will think about. I, I hope that you will hear it in your sleep. I hope, I hope you'll wake up celebrating this fact. I hope it's something that will be ingrained in your mind and in your spirit that this is the reason we celebrate. This is the reason we gather. This is the reason that, that, that we even are, that we exist. It's because of God's gospel that we are. And as I, I think, I could actually point this out in numerous places in the New Testament, but where it really began to just blow up in my life and, and really began to, God really began to show me and speak to me about this was in Acts chapter 2. Starting really actually at the beginning of chapter 2, we don't, we don't have time to read it all the way through. But Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 36 through 42, and I, I think you'll see why. I, actually, I'm going to do my best to show you why that this is the central focus or the main focus of our church. And not just some ministry method or program. If you've got your Bibles, it'll be on the screens. It's actually in the handouts that you've been given as well. But you can read along. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Man, hear the anguish. They were cut to the heart. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we'll stop right there. The truth is I could actually preach for the next eight weeks out of this passage. I'm not going to do that to you because I know that you... I, it's just who we are. We want to we want to see it from other places, and that's okay. I, it, it's certainly proven in all throughout the New Testament. But the reality is that the, the next eight weeks really are going to break out what we see happening in the early church. And I don't want you to hear me saying that we are trying to replant the the first church or that that early church. That the church existed and that happened as a result of the Holy Spirit. And if 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 we're going to even if, if this is going to be seen as in us in any way, it's going to be a result of the Holy Spirit, not me drumming up some good ideas to say, hey, let's do this. i got this great idea, let's do this, and, and we, can put, we can put all the programs we want together. If God's not in it, it's not going to bear the fruit it needs to bear. But in this passage, Peter has, he preaches the first recorded message, the first recorded gospel message that we know happened after... Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's been uh, risen from the grave for about 40 days. He's standing with his apostles, and he's giving them one last instruction. It's the, the passage where he says, uh, you know, don't worry about times and dates. It's not for your concern when you're going to be my witnesses, and when power or when the Holy Spirit comes, power is going to come on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, or, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost. He ascends into heaven, and the apostles are like, whoa. Wow, that was pretty crazy. What do we do? And these two, and these angels show up and they, they, they're like, why are you still looking up at the sky? Go back to Jerusalem. So they return to Jerusalem. You know what they do? They go into an upper room in Jerusalem and they begin together and pray and that becomes a regular habit of their lives. And the birth of the church happens. And then one morning, they're waiting as Jesus had instructed them to wait. He had told them, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, I don't know what they were expecting to happen. Wait for the Holy Spirit. How are we going to know? You're not going to miss it. You'll know. And so they're, they're gathered one morning and they're praying in this house and tongues of fire come down and, and just cover them. And all of a sudden, there's a sound that's like a rushing wind, and I imagine it to be like a tornado. You know, and everybody says that sounds like a train, so imagine the sound of a train rushing through the city. It was so loud that it gathered people from all over the city of Jerusalem to come and see what was happening. And when they showed up, people are praising God, and they are, they are proclaiming His mighty works, and people in the crowd are from all over the region, and they are hearing in languages of their own. They're, they're hearing their own languages spoken from Gentile men, and, and they're like astonished. And the first public church service happened because the Holy Spirit attracted people to the place where the Gospel was going to be proclaimed. And then some of them, are, some of the people in the crowd, they're ridiculing. Ah, oh, man, those guys are drunk. And Peter stands up in the middle of it, and he begins to just preach. And this man, who just days and weeks before had denied knowing Jesus at all, who now stood in light of meeting the risen Savior, and empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, stood and boldly proclaimed that Jesus was the way. That's the gospel. He stands and he teaches and he tells them, you know, Jesus, this man, he's the answer to prophecy. He's the, he, he's, he's the one who's going to take the throne of David and rule as king. His death and resurrection puts death to death, he says. 
It's through Jesus that that victory has been won. And Peter wanted them, he wanted the people to get this. He wanted them to understand it. Jesus is God's answer to our problem. We come up with all kinds of answers. Now you, you can go to any number of, of health and wealth or, or motivational speakers and hear the answers to your problem. But Peter says Jesus is God's answer to our problem. This Jesus has been made Lord and Christ. The, the man that you crucified is Lord and Christ. Don't miss it, he says. Let all of Israel know for certain. You see, our problem, our problem is sin and rebellion. Every person sitting in this room, your problem, your greatest problem, my greatest problem is sin and rebellion against God. You see, in Jesus' story, man, if it was ever going to be made plain in the world, in Jesus' story, His death at the hands of the people He came to save, we killed God. That's a sinful and rebellious people. And the truth is, is we are responsible for that as well. And our sin and rebellion... It's signified by, by what happened to Jesus. But the, the, the end result of our problem is death. And not just physical death. It's not just like we're going to die one day because of sin. Yeah, we're going to die one day because of sin. But every child born today is born dead. And every man and woman who walks the face, face of the earth and is separated from God because they have no forgiveness in Jesus is a walking dead. Not the zombies that you see on AMC. I'm talking about people who think they got it all figured out. They are dead. And at some point, they must be made alive in the Spirit and they must be regenerated. And you know how that happens? You know why, why that can even be a possibility? Because God can look down from heaven in His perfection and His holiness and He can say, My Son died for you and His death paid the price for your sins. And so now I can forgive you and remain holy and just. And you can be adopted as My child. You can stand in My presence. My Spirit can indwell you because of what My Son did for you. You see, Jesus' death is sacrificial. In our place for our sins, Jesus died. But that death, Jesus' death, is only part of the story. And see, it's no surprise to Jesus that He was facing the cross. It's no surprise that, that this was happening to Him. The rest of the story is, is that He came to die and to rise again. And on that third day, He rose from the grave. And that, that, that power that, that, that rose Him from the grave provides for us the hope of eternal life. And I'm not talking about life like we know it today. I, I'm talking about an eternal life. And as Peter talks about it, we've, we've read it recently, he, he talks about a, a, a living hope, an a, a inheritance that's that's held for us by God that will not fade, rust, or, or diminish in any way. A life that is everlasting. And that starts now. And that's the Gospel. You see, the essence of the Gospel is summed up in that phrase that Jesus is God's answer to our problem. That's it. You don't have to go to Bible school for, for four or five years to figure that out. You don't have to have a degree. These, these men that were proclaiming this, Peter standing and preaching it, was a fisherman who'd been touched by God, who'd been shown the truth by Jesus Christ, who had seen the risen Savior, who had been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You see, it was all about what God was doing in him. 
You see, Peter existed because of the gospel. The 120 or so that gathered before that moment on Pentecost morning, they existed because of the gospel. They were there because of the gospel. And maybe they didn't know exactly how they were going to say it yet. Maybe they didn't know exactly how they were going to proclaim it yet. But they were in the midst of living that historical moment. As the story of the gospel was finalized and it gave birth to the beauty of the church. And see, because of the gospel, each of those people existed. Because of the gospel, individually, we are. You are here as believers in Jesus Christ, really because of the gospel. If it wasn't for the gospel, obviously we wouldn't have anything to believe in. If it wasn't for the gospel, obviously there would be no reason really to show up on Sunday mornings and celebrate that we have salvation because we wouldn't have salvation. If it weren't for the gospel, we wouldn't, I don't even know that we would know how to approach God. If it wasn't for the God coming into our existence, coming into our frame of reference and showing Himself and revealing Himself and telling us what to believe and showing us the truth, I don't think we'd be. I don't think there's one person that would have ever figured it out on their own. I think the Bible's clear that God had to do that for us. Just like every person then that believed or listened to Peter and became a believer, every person sitting in this room is a result of God's work through the gospel. You, at some point in your life, have had to come to a place where you saw your problem, where you saw your sin and rebellion against God. And then you had to trust in Jesus. We don't get we we don't get in, in into relationship with God without with, with by, by skipping this point. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to faith. He calls us to this. He tells us this. Just like every believer there, every every person that believed that morning, we exist as a result of the gospel. I saw this illustrated recently in my trip to Africa. As we went into that second village, I told you guys about the about the two men that made professions of faith. And as we went into that village, it's not like we went in with the answers that they had not heard yet or were able to convince them because we're such persuasive people. What we found was two men that had already been believing and they just didn't know what to do. Is that three trips before we ever showed up, three trips before we ever get there, have, has sat with them and talked with them and shared the gospel with them. And in the meantime, they're listening to recordings of the Bible being taught. And we show up and they're like, yeah, we believe. What do we do? What do we do now? I I mean, imagine this. Imagine that. It's it's no different than what happened on Pentecost morning. Peter preaches the gospel and they believe it and they are cut to the heart, and immediately, what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond? And see, what, what this really shows us is that there's a twofold effect on our lives because of the gospel. And, and this, this phrase that we use and, and that, that will, I think, always be a part of who we are as a church, because of the gospel, we are. It, it, it demonstrates two different perspectives of what the gospel does. Stop and think about it. Because of the gospel, we have a whole new identity. We are positionally, we are different. We are justified. We are clean before God. We are forgiven of sin. He has called us His children. He has looked at us and said, you are mine. And we are Christians because we believe we are a new person because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, we have a new identity. Because of the gospel, we have a new direction. You see, the whole idea of this statement, because of the gospel, we are, it's not just about, it's not just about who we are, but it's what we're motivated to do. See, this, this whole idea of existence and being in this, in this, in the words we are, I mean, it, we're, we're defined not simply by our identity, but by what we do as well. 
and, and think about it. It's not our works, obviously, that save us. But there are some pretty specific things that we're called to. As a believer, you're called to baptism. If you refuse baptism, I'm not telling you that you're not saved, but it certainly makes me wonder if you really trust in Jesus. We're called to community. We're shown that we need one another, but if you refuse to live with the church, it makes me wonder, do you really trust in Jesus? You see, it's going to motivate us in a totally different way. It's going to give us a whole new direction for life. And you consider these people that were listening to Peter. Jewish people given to the law. They were in Jerusalem celebrating, having celebrated the, the Passover. Now they were there to celebrate Pentecost. And, they were, and that's why the city was so crowded. So they were law-abiding Jewish citizens. They loved their heritage. Everything depended on their heritage, their lineage, their own works. Peter preaches the gospel. And suddenly, all of a sudden, they recognize they believe it. They've got this new identity. And now they need to know what they need to do in response to it. And see, they had to change their minds about what they had previously believed. They had to change their minds about their relationship with God. They had to change their minds about how they would now live in light of this truth. Everything that they were, everything that they had been was going to change and the direction that they were going to live their lives was going to change because of this new foundational belief. Who we are as a church is certainly founded in what we believe and how we move as a church is founded in what we believe. You see, I, I don't think we go to Africa or that we go to homeless people or that we reach out to college students or that we strive to do something on the on the, on Kickapoo's high school campus. And we don't do those things simply because they make us look good. Well, I hope that's not what you're trying to do. You see, the gospel gives us a new identity and it gives us a new direction. And Peter talked about this and he calls he, the people say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. He says, repent and automatically our minds are all about, oh, well, that means i got to quit sinning. And ultimately it means that. We misunderstand what repentance is. You see, the Greek word really means change your mind. Change your mind. Now, when that change in your mind is, is authentic, obviously there's going to be a change in the way you act. But repenting of your sin is not first and foremost saying, okay, well, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. But at some point you have to look at the things that you do and say these are sinful. How many of us sit down and watch television that, and laugh and just enjoy these shows that we think are, you know, they're just hilarious and they entertain us, but wouldn't be something you want to sit down with me and watch? I'm not saying I'm not guilty of watching those shows. I'm just saying that there's going to be some of you that would be uncomfortable watching some of the things you watch if I'm sitting in the room with you because you don't think I watch those shows. And I don't. Not. I mean, it's a reality. How, how many of us are involved in things that we know don't honor God? Well, certainly those are things that we should stop, but at some point we have to look at them and we have to recognize that they are dishonoring to Him. We have to recognize them for what they are. We've got to change our mind about them. We've got to change our mind about our freedom. Oh, well, you know, well, grace abounds, so I'm free to do it. No, God's Word says, no, you're not. You see, repentance is about changing your mind and that authentic change of your mind, a change of the judgment of some circumstance or situation resulting in a change of your action. And that is the work of the Gospel. Don't miss this. This, this, is, this is imperative that you understand this. Because we can be identified by our works all day long. There are civic groups that do it everywhere. There's groups of people who are out there that are, are known for all of their good deeds. We call them philanthropists. And, well, man, they're rich people and they do great things. 
you don't have to be a Christian and a believer in the gospel to go out and serve other people and to do things that others think are pretty amazing and noble. And see, those works don't make you any more acceptable to God. Only the gospel does that. And then when you have that new identity as being accepted, as being approved by God, it, it then begins to work in you and motivate you to move in a different way. You see, we don't... <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. We don't do these things to enter the gospel. We do them because the gospel's entered us. That is fundamentally different. It's, it's, it's putting things in the right order. And so now we are identified as children of God. But that doesn't simply mean that in a state or position of, of, of being a new person, that, that whole new person is identified by a whole new direction. Because of the gospel, every person in, the, in here is and has a new direction. But this isn't the end of the gospel. You see, it's unfortunate that in America, in, in our consumerist uh, our, our consumer's culture, that in many cases the preaching of the gospel stops at the individual becoming a believer. Oh, you believe, then that's great, man. I, I'm, I'm so excited for you. You're, you're on your way to heaven. You've gotten what you want. And we stop preaching when we see a person believe, but the preaching of the gospel affects us in every area of our life. The gospel is first and foremost about God's glory. But because of His great love, the Gospel is also about His chosen people. I, I, I want you to hear this. and I, I, I'm not trying to exalt you or make you feel more than you should. I'm not trying to, to get you to build yourself up in your mind. I, I think ultimately this brings greater glory to God. You as believers in Jesus Christ are so special to God. He loves you intensely and intently. His, his, his senses for you and His desires for you, His passion for you. Oh man, it's, it's better and more amazing than you can even fathom. The Gospel shows us exactly how He feels for His people. Exactly what He desires for His people. It was never meant to be about just you. Preaching of the gospel should never stop at the one person, but should point people to God's people. You see, we don't exist as a community because, well, I'm a believer and I just figured something out. We exist as a community because of the gospel. Because of the gospel corporately, as a body, we are. I mean, you, you look at what birthed the church. Look at where it started. It didn't start by a group of 12 guys getting together and saying, hey, i got this story. And I think if we tell this story, people will love it. And you know, they might get mad at us at times. And, and actually, oh man, we're probably going to die for it. But it's going to change the world. We're going to be famous forever because we figured out the story. That's not what birthed the church. The Gospel of Jesus Christ birthed the church. And the Gospel continues to birth the church. Every bit of growth, every bit of, every bit of expansion of the kingdom of God is because of the Gospel. It's a result of God's work in the, in the world through the Gospel. And if we ever strive to be founded on something as a body of believers other than the Gospel, then we are not a church. We can be the Lions Club. We can go join the JCs. We can go and throw a circus with the, who is it, the, the Shriners. You know, go, go throw a circus. That's fun. People love a circus. 
We were standing at the art walk the other night as Brent and Adam played, and someone walked up and gave me a flyer, and I read it, and I was like, wow, mud ball. I don't know exactly what that means. Go and get muddy, and they had a picture of a dress all covered with mud, and I was like, that might be fun. And I read who was doing it. It was the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Springfield. And I'm standing with John McConnell. John McConnell's like, man, they, they ought to just be a civic group. You know, you can label yourself whatever you want. You can throw church in the title of anything. If you're not built out of and exist because of the gospel, then you are something other than the church. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't partner with or at times join those, those groups and do, well, maybe you don't need to join the Universal Unitarian Church. In fact, I would, I would encourage you not to. You can evangelize them. Go be a part of the, go, go be a part of the Lions Club. They do good things. I, I knew a guy that, that they sell, I think it's almonds. They sell almonds every year and they raise money and they buy glasses for kids that can't afford it. It's a good thing. Go be a part of the, the Chamber of Commerce stuff that goes on in Springfield. Network with business people. You know, join civic groups. Be a part of your community. But recognize that that all exists as an expression of the gospel. We do these things as an expression of the gospel. And when you look at our passage, I mean, you consider the church existed with Peter and those 120 gathering and praying. And he preaches the gospel. And, and Luke tells us 3,000 people came to believe. Man, I pray for that. I know that sounds kind of crazy. Every time I go into a foreign country, I pray for this opportunity to, to preach the gospel in, in languages that they understand and that thousands of people respond to see God glorified. Now, I know he, he, he knows it's about my ego at times too, and so he's not given me that yet uh, because he knows I would come back bragging. But, man, I, wouldn't that be awesome to see? But you know what else is awesome? to see what the gospel does as you live life together as a church. And you see it change people. I was telling you earlier about Scott and Katrina getting married yesterday, and I had the honor of, of marrying them. I've had the honor of sitting with them for a few weeks and going through premarital counseling. You know, and I honestly didn't know them real well, and most of, most of you probably don't know much about Scott and Katrina. And even at the beginning of the, of the premarital counseling, I was a little concerned about how they were going to take some of my counsel because I didn't know where they stood, and I was, you know, I'm still going to tell them what I feel like I need to tell them. But as we went through, I began to recognize that the gospel has changed them more than I could have ever imagined. In the year that they've been here, they are radically different today than they were when they first showed up. I was speaking to Scott before the wedding, and I said, "Scott, I mean, I, I hope your, you know, I hope your nerves aren't too bad. I don't, I don't remember exactly what I was saying to him. I say so many things, you know, it's it's hard to remember it all. But we were talking. I was trying to comfort him and encourage him. It's going to be all right, you know. At the end of the day, no matter what, you're going to end up married. It's going to be fine. And he tells me last night, not last night, but the night before his wedding, he said, "I was just sitting and praying and reading scripture." And just praying about what I was going to say today as I, as I committed my life to... to uh, that's what I do, Katrina. Thank you. I've said her name how many times and now I forget it. It's a good thing that didn't happen yesterday. <laughs> but there we were and I was like, I was blown away. And he's nervous and he's standing by Katrina and he's like, hey, before we go out there, could you just pray for us? Because he's so radically different than he used to be. I know a guy that used to work with him. And the guy told me, you know, of all the people I thought would never be saved, Scott was that guy. But I'm going to tell you, Scott is a believer and he loves Jesus. In fact, the people that were at the wedding yesterday didn't get to hear this. But as they covenanted to one another, just let me share some of the things that they said. This is Scott committing his life to Katrina. God has truly worked wonders in our lives over the past year. 
And I shall cherish our days ahead as we worship him while loving and serving each other. Only by God's good grace we do, do we find ourselves at this place in our lives today. That's not all he had to say, but as I sat and listened to that, I felt so honored to be able to witness it. Katrina tells Scott, among the other things she said to him, she says, most of all, I am amazed and thankful for how our lives have changed and grown this past year as we have found Christ. This new relationship in our lives has taught me to think less of myself and more of you. God has shown me how to care more and love you better. And the beauty is, is that just as His work in their lives it changed them in the gospel as that gospel took root and worked in them. It changes us and it, it brings us to this place where we recognize that we are less and others are more. Because of the gospel, certainly we exist corporately. Because of the gospel, corporately we are. And we're only a church because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't be a church if we try to do it with anything else. Nothing else will do it. Nothing else will bring this change. Nothing else will connect people the way the gospel does. Nothing else establishes a people the way the gospel does. But it doesn't just stop at what it does as it establishes us. In this passage, you see the people being moved from, from the Jews to Christians, from, from who they were to who they had become. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then immediately it talks about how different their life became. Because the Gospel doesn't just bring us together as a group but it gives us a whole new rhythm of life together. As the gospel takes root in the lives of believers, it gives us a new direction or a new rhythm of life, a whole new flow of how things go. I mean, you just consider what happened in Scott and Katrina's life in the past year, and maybe you haven't seen it all, but you can certainly hear the testimony today. Consider what happened in, in, in those 3,000 people as they came to believe. And it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their whole life had changed. Their circle of friends, their, the, the people that they hung out with, had to change. The things that they spent their time doing had to change. They no longer were distant from the church. They were a part of the church. You see, God is at work through His gospel. It all happens as a result of the gospel. There's never a moment. There's never a moment in which we exist that the gospel doesn't matter. And as a church, the gospel is preeminently important. Because without it, you might as well go home. There's no sense in coming to church if the gospel's not true. Community is not enough because I'm going to let you down. The people in this room are going to let you down. At some point, someone is going to disappoint you or sin against you. That's why there's verses in the Bible about forgiving one another as God's forgiven you. Because we're people and we screw it up and we hurt one another and we are weird and we have to accept one another in spite of our weirdness. That's who we are. But the gospel makes it possible. And it gives us a whole new rhythm of life. The rhythms that you see in that early church devoted to the apostles' teaching. The gospel moved them to recognize a new authority. They had been under the authority of the Jewish leadership or the Jewish high council all of their life. All of their life, that's what they were given to. And here they came to believe, and all of a sudden they are trusting and following and, and, and obeying the teaching of these 
fishermen and tax collectors and just normal guys. And they devoted to one another. They were devoted to one another. The gospel is about bringing people together. It says that they broke bread together, which most theologians point out that they observed the sacraments together, that they got together. And when they were together, they took the Lord's Supper, breaking of bread. And they took, they, they, they celebrated what Jesus did because they recognized the importance of the gospel. They were committed to prayer together. They recognized their need for God to act because of the gospel. I mean, you think about it, how different, how radically different it is. Everything in their life before had depended on their own works, their own efforts, the things that they were going to do. They had to work to please and satisfy God. And now they're praying and desperately seeking out God to provide and to act because they recognized how dependent and and desperate they were for Him. Well, as I mentioned, we want to be a, a church that's built on the gospel. And it's not my intent to try and replicate the Acts 2 church. I, I, only the Holy Spirit can do that. But certainly, we can recognize that as the gospel moved them, and you can see this all the way through the New Testament, but as the gospel moved them, we recognize that the gospel moves us. And so gospel rhythms that, that we already have in place and will continue to emphasize is our temple time. And, and, and these, you know, I mean, just take it for what it's worth. I'm trying to alliterate and make everything start the same way. It's this morning. You're here. We're going to gather corporately and we're going to worship together and we're going to praise God together. We're, we're, we're going to love on one another and, and we're going to listen to the teaching of the Word and we are going to... to um, to worship as as we take the sacraments together. It's all here. And in this time, it's all about directing our attention away from everything else and looking to, to God and adoring Him for who He is and what He's done. We do that because of the Gospel. Table. That's our small groups, our community groups. And we gather in small groups to see the Gospel work itself out in one another. I I, I don't... I don't want to advertise or push community groups simply because I think it's a good idea. Oh yeah, we we all want friends. We all want to belong to something. And I get that, but this is bigger than that. This is life together as a result of the gospel. If you're not in a community group, if you're a member of the church and you're not in a community group, hear me as your pastor, you need to be in a community group. And, you know, there's going to be some awkwardness and there's going to be some weirdness as you get to know one another and as you open up and as other people open up and people are, you're going to be maybe feeling insecure. Are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? You know, maybe you're not going to fit in every group you try. Maybe, maybe it's going to take a couple times and you're going to finally find a group that you kind of click in and feel good with and, and you feel comfortable opening up and sharing. But whatever the case, you need, you, you need to be living in community. Not because I say so, but because the gospel breeds community. We exist as a people of God because of the gospel. People in in the New Testament did life together as a result of the gospel. And the only reason we don't recognize how desperately we need it is because we we can run and make friends with anybody we want to and we don't have to worry about persecution and we don't have to worry about what people think of us because we can compartmentalize our, our lives to Sunday mornings and Monday through Friday. Oh, and then I've got my Saturday friends too. You desperately need the community of the church. You need it. Find community. It's available. And then town. We'll break these out more as we go along, but town is the church life on display for the world to see. We were not saved by the gospel to live in a vacuum. We, we were never intended to just be here in our buildings, in our places, totally separate, separate and segregated from the world. We are separate spiritually, but we are to live in the world. The church is to be on display for God's people that don't yet know Him to see Him. 
the, the world needs to see us living like Jesus. Your neighbors, the people you work with, the people in the neighborhood of the community group that you meet in, they need you and your friends, your Christian friends, to live like Jesus so that they can see that physical example of Jesus. Because of the gospel, we are. Twofold meaning. Because of the gospel, we are who we are. Because of the gospel, we will move as the gospel leads us to move. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ that we do have reason to celebrate that there is a great inheritance to look forward to that you have solved our problems. God, we are so blessed. And I know there's times and I, I feel it, I know, I know others feel it, that it just and it seems like we don't we don't always get it, we don't always understand. But God, your gospel, you, you, you have provided for us, and, and I just pray that you'd help us to recognize. Help us, God, in this next, as we go through the, the community group study, that you would just help us, God, recognize not just what the gospel is, but what it does in us and what it does through us. God, that our joy would become complete as we live in obedience to you. That our joy would be made full and that we would understand the abundant life, not because of what we have in our bank accounts but because of what we've recognized we have in you. God, that you would just fill us up and that you would overflow us, that you would help us to see how we affect the world around us. We thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice and thank you for the gift of your gospel. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.